Well, that's a fantastic testimony. Thank you, Brooke, for that testimony of God's work in your life. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, uh, we're looking at 1 Kings 17. You ever feel like your life is just a series of challenges? As soon as you get past one crisis, it seems to be the next one is standing in line just waiting <clears throat> to happen. You wonder, like, is there no pause button? Is there no reprieve? Could I, can I just have a little while of, of rest and contentment? Here's what the people of God, here's what you need to know in and, and co actually come to terms with. And that is this, that God will never, ever lead you into a state of independence from Him. We may try to take ourselves in that direction, but God never will. He will never take us into a state of independence from God. In fact, God will always, always lead you into a deeper dependence upon Him, which usually ends up being inconvenient or uncomfortable or certainly a challenge. Maybe feeling like you are over your head. God is always taking us into deeper dependence upon Him. Father, I pray this morning as we look into your word and we hear from you, as you instruct us on how to live lives that honor you in challenging times, I pray that we will learn well the lessons of robust faith, trust in you, and realize that you are at work in our lives. Regularly when we can't see it, or it seems like it couldn't possibly be happening because the times are so difficult. But thank you, Lord, that you are working on our lives. And I pray now that you'll uh, direct our attention to your word and that it will uh, have a, a great impact in our life today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following along, we started our series on the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, last week. And we're looking at today surviving a resources stress test. What do you do when, when things that you need or appear to need are just disappearing, evaporating? When the brook dries up, when the flower pot is empty, when the cooking oil is down to just the dregs, or a life-threatening illness lands in your family, there are two options. You can turn to what you see what you have, what you want, or you can turn to God. There are always two options. You can turn to what you have, what you see, what you want, or you can turn to God when times are difficult. We are going to look at the dark days, spiritually dark days of Elijah, but these kinds of days affect us as well. And keep in mind that that challenges in our life are always a showdown between whether or not we're going to trust in the living God or we're going to trust in the things that are material, the things that we, we see, that we have. Are we going to trust in the true and living God or are we going to trust in material replacement gods? There's always a challenge and a showdown between those who live by bread alone and those who do not live by bread alone. By, between those who imagine 
religions that support material desires and those whose desire is, satis is, is satisfied in the infinite only. So which one are you? Are you a person who lives on bread alone on what you can see? Or are you, do you realize that you, you are made for more than that? Do you replace God with material things? Or do you realize that you can only be satisfied with God? One thing that's abundantly clear, and that is that God has a lot of work to do to get us there, to the place where we depend upon him. In the book of James, in James chapter two, uh, 4, verses 2 and 3, it says this, You have not because you ask, because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And the word there is hedomai, which, which is where we get our English word hedonism, which is really the pursuit of pleasure as the most important thing in your life. What James is saying here is the reason that, that often we don't see God at work in our lives is because we don't ask him. But then there are times when we ask him but he still doesn't answer the prayer that we ask because we are going to choose to spend what he would give us on our pleasures, on the wrong things. We often say that we never get anything from God. Regularly, it's because we are either not asking or asking for the wrong things. He won't give us stuff to feed the gods of materialism in our lives. You're on your own to do that. So, if you have your Bibles, let's look at 1 Kings 17. Just a reminder that the backdrop here is Israel has turned to Baal, the gods of Baal, the, the, the god Baal, uh, to trust in him as opposed to the living God. And Elijah has called out the king, King Ahab, for this uh, betrayal of God and leading people to betray God and he says there won't be any rain for until he once again says that there will be and so he is sent away by God to hide and ravens feed him we learned that last week that the ravens take care of him the brook that he's uh, located by is for provides his drinking water and then we pick up verse 7 of 1 Kings 17 sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm getting a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but First make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself 
and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. <clears throat> she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Well, this is the word of God to us this morning. The brook dried up because there had been no rain. And there was no rain because Elijah had prayed according to the will of God that there should be no rain. This is a reminder to us that we should not get upset with God when you pray for his will to be done, and it is. There are two lessons, two big lessons that I want to uh, share with you this morning sort of loom large from the story of the widow of Zarephath. And the first lesson is this. I want to talk about the bankruptcy of materialism. That's the first lesson. And the second lesson is the robust riches of faith, of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The bankruptcy of materialism over against the robust riches of faith. Keep in mind here that Israel, God's very people, had decided to place all of their hopes on, um, on uh, Baal, on the God, on, on economic prosperity derived from a foreign God, or they hoped from a foreign God, whose specialty was rain and fertility. So keep in mind now, Israel is pinning all of their economic prosperity hopes on a created God, a material God, of rain and fertility, and it wasn't raining. That's the bankruptcy of materialism. To put your faith in the finite, in the, in the limited, in something that is created. And, and there's a certain human, uh, common human trait in all of us that, that draws us to trust in the things that we can see 
or the things that we have or the things that we desire. Humans, by nature, value their bodies over their souls. Since the Garden of Eden, there has been a consistent temptation upon human beings to trust in material things, to trust in what you can see. Satan came and tempted Eve with a material thing. It looked good for food. Looked, uh, please, it was pleasing to look at. It was desirable to bring wisdom. And from that very time, we have consistently been tempted by the things that were material that we might trust in them. It is, a hum it is our human nature to, to put more value on our physical well-being than on our spiritual prosperity. We look for the gods, small g, that will bless our wants and our desires and our preferences. Materialism, by the way, is the worship of the material, the worship of created things. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about that in the first chapter of Romans. In Romans 1.25, he talks there about the, the descent of the human heart into, uh, into uh, and, and the fact that God will remove himself that God will turn his back on people who in fact are trusting in material things, who are trusting in the created things. And it says in the text there in, first, in Romans chapter 1, 25 and on, because they have believed the lie. Well, what is the lie instead of the truth? The lie is that joy and fulfillment can be found in material things, in created things. People continue to fall prey to that temptation. In fact, as we can see around ourselves in our own culture, materialism has now become the religion of the natural man. In fact, um, Harvey Cox, the professor of theology at Harvard University, Divinity School, says this, the market is God. The market is God. Religion has now been absorbed into the whole idea of economic prosperity and the market uh, to that prosperity. And Israel, of course, had traded everything for Baal. Baal was now their God. Baal was the market and Baal was their God. Because of human nature, we don't find it surprising that Israel had turned to false gods or other gods or material gods. What we find rather stunning is that Israel would choose to stay with the god Baal, a material god, even to their own ruination. And he was yet not providing anything for them. I don't know if any of you have ever visited uh, lower Manhattan in New York City. But there you will see a very large statue of a bronze bull. Now this is the economic center of New York City and quite honestly, in some ways, the economic center of the whole world. And there's this giant statue of a brass bull in, the, in lower Manhattan. 
Would it surprise you to know that the god Baal was pictured as a bull? The god Baal, this ancient pagan god, was pictured as a bull. There in modern lower Manhattan, <clears throat> New York City, is this brass statue of a bull. Because in our culture, the market is God. We live in a very materialist world. In the American bill, American dollar, says in God we trust. But the truth of the matter is, the God in which the vast majority of the North American culture trusts is actually in the banknote, not in Jehovah God, not in the living God. <clears throat> if you've been listening to our premier and his press conferences, at the end of each of the press conference, he signs off by saying, God bless the people of Ontario. Now, I, I personally am pleased that he says that, but he seems to have no idea what blessing really means. Because every press conference is about dependence on physical things alone. There's never any dependence on spiritual things. There's never any recognition of God. There's never any recognition that we should be depending on the Lord God to release us from this pandemic and help us, ever. It's always a dependence upon physical things. God will not bless people who depend on material things for their Savior and their God. This is the exact same thing that was happening at the time of Elijah. So there is a bankruptcy in materialism, but there is a robust riches in faith. And this morning with our remaining time, I just want to share four quick ideas about the value of God over against material things. You see, there was a Gentile woman who was living in the heart of Baal paganism, who had a small son who believed in the God of Israel. Can you imagine? If you, if you have your Bibles open, you will notice here that she says in verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Remember we talked about this last week, what it was to, to trust in God. And first of all, you had to believe that God was alive, that God lives, that we served a living God. And here you have this Gentile widow living in the center of paganism, because she, it says, was a, from Zarephath and Sidon. She's a Phoenician living in the, in the exact center of Baal worship who actually believed in the God of Israel. Can you see the contrast here, folks? The people of Israel were trusting in Baal and a Gentile woman in the center of Baal paganism was trusting in Almighty God. It's an amazing picture that we have here and a, and a big, big hint to all of us that God cares about the people of the world. God is not just the God of Israel. God is not a tribal God. God is the God of all the peoples in the world. And we have learned this as a church. We understand this is what it means to be a church. If Christians aren't people for all people, then we have missed the point of the scriptures and we've missed the point of our God. This, this God 
himself had obviously revealed himself to this pagan woman and she believed in him. And we don't know when that happened. But we see here there's definitely a different way to live uh, that God presents here through the prophet Elijah to this widow. He sends the second most, pro second most important prophet in all of Scripture, at least the Old Testament, Moses and then Elijah. He sends Elijah to this woman, this widow woman, Gentile woman, in the center of paganism to reach out to her, to increase her faith, to offer to her provision. Now let's look at this. There was no rain, and she was running out of supplies, it says in the text. In fact, she had one day's supply left. Now, most of us have learned that God is rarely early, but he's never late. God rarely arrives early when we need something, but he's never late. And here is this woman with one more day's supply of food. That's it. I want you to see here that material things cannot help you when material things are your problem. What was the problem? No rain. No rain meant no crops. No crops means no food. The problem was material things. But God actually can help when God has caused material things to be the problem. It was God who had decided that there would be no more rain. So there's no point in turning to material things to solve your problem when God has in fact, the, when God is in fact the one who has called upon this particular circumstance. And so we, we find in tracking the, the story of Elijah that um, in verse 2, it's, it, when, when Elijah had delivered the statement to, the, to King Ahab that it wouldn't rain anymore, and God says to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine. In other words, go to the land of Samaria, which is out of the range of King Ahab, and I will provide for you there ravens that will bring food, and I will provide for you uh, by, beside a brook. I will make provision for you. I will provide food, and I will provide water. That's exactly the same formula as God rescued his people out of Egypt. Remember, he said, leave, leave Egypt, uh, leave here, go into the wilderness, and I will provide food for you, and I will provide provide water for you. And for 40 years, God provided food and water. And now it's, now it's the time of Elijah. And he's hearing God say the same thing. I will provide for you food and water. I'll send ravens to you. A most unusual way to get fed. Ra ravens will bring meat and bread to you every day. Now, if you know anything about ravens, they don't eat seeds. Ravens are scavengers. So the ravens would want to eat the very things they would bring to Elijah. So God had to actually change the character and nature of the ravens so that they might bring the food, in fact, to Elijah. And they did. Uh, one of our, our members here uh, proposed uh, last week, sent a text after the service to me last week and said, I wonder if the ravens went and plundered the king's table, the food from the king's table, and took it to Elijah. You know what? I think that's probably exactly what happened that the ravens plundered Ahab's 
provisions and took them to Elijah and, and fed him and looked after him. Because that's just the way God would, would do things, I'm sure. And so it was right out of the Exodus playbook, sustenance and protection. And, and um, when the brook dries up, God already has a provision plan for Elijah and sends him to, the, to a widow in Zarephath and says, I've commanded a widow there to take care of you, to provide for you. Now, this is Baal territory. The prophet is being told, go right into the center of pagan worship and there I will provide for you. Why would God do that? Well, God was proving that he's not a territorial God, but rather this isn't Baal's territory. The whole world is, belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. This is our Father's world. And there is no place more safe than one another for God's people. There is no place where, where God can't provide for you or take care of you because this is his world. So Elijah, off you go. Off you go to Sidon, the land of the Phoenicians, and I will take care of you there. Now, there is this widow dying under Baal's watch because Baal can't provide for her. Next to the ravens feeding Elijah, this widow becomes the most unlikely provider. After all, she's a Gentile widow. Elijah's a Jew. She's, um, as a widow having a son, there was no social safety net in those days. She's no doubt extremely poor, and her prospects of being taken care of are virtually zero. Because a widow is, it, it's difficult for a widow, but this widow had a, a small son, which meant her prospects for remarriage were probably very limited because no one wanted to put their inheritance at risk by taking on someone else's child. So she is the most unlikely to provide for Elijah. But Elijah's faith, if, if Elijah is going to be fed and provided for by God, he has to obey the Lord and respond to the Lord. And it says there in the text that I, God says, I have commanded a widow to supply food for you. You don't need rain. You don't need crops. I've already commanded a widow to take care of you. Just do as I say. Jesus in Matthew 16, 25, if you remember, said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So material things can't help you when material is your problem. Second, those relying on material things must stockpile these things to have any semblance of security at all. But God doesn't need a stockpile and we only need sufficient. Do you notice in the text, in verse 13, Elijah says to the woman, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to feed me. Don't be afraid to provide for me. Go make me a cake and then go make one for you and your son. All you need is faith to believe that God can and that God will provide. And so um, he, he tells her, for God has given me his word that he will provide for me. You know, it's always good to be a middle person in a God transaction with someone else. 
Because you see here how God provided for Elijah was to provide for a widow that, was, that, that believed in him, that a widow to demonstrate to her that, that God really truly could look after her and to buoy up her faith and to strengthen her faith. And, and so, so God uses her as a middle person in a transaction whereby he's providing for Elijah by providing for her. When God speaks to you, and wants to use you as, a, as some sort of middleman in a transaction for him. He will provide for you that you're able to do that. And it says in verse 14, the, the food will not be used up. It will not run dry until the Lord provides rain again. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We do not live that way easily. We want to see our daily bread a week ahead of us. We want to see our daily bread years ahead of us. We want to see our daily bread stockpiled 10 years in advance before we find ourselves living with a sense of security. But when you walk with God, God does not require a stockpile. God is the one who speaks and what he speaks happens. God is the one who provides and promises to provide what is sufficient for this day. And then the next day. And then the next day. When, when uh, the widow did not find suddenly that she had a storehouse of flour and, and, and vat, all kinds of vats of oil. No. It just kept coming every day. Enough flour for that day enough oil for that day, and then the next day rolled around and God would provide. Those relying on material things must have a stockpile. Those who trust in God can trust in Him to provide sufficiently day after day. Does that mean that we shouldn't be diligent and, 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 and I mean, Joseph demonstrated a certain diligence by setting things? No, that's not the point. The point is our security does not come in what we see or what we have, but who we have and who provides for us. The insecure have to accumulate. Those who trust in the Lord realize that sufficient is today and what he provides today. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God can provide for us? You know, Israel was claiming to trust and have allegiance in God at the same time as they were pandering to Baal, the, the material God. And sometimes we, uh, we also play both sides. They were hedging their bets on the God of Israel and on, the, on Baal of the pagan lands. And sometimes we live the very same way. We, we often say that we have full allegiance on, and trust in God, but Deep down inside, our security is based upon what we can see and what we have and what we've accumulated and what we have gathered in terms of wealth uh, to take care of us. There's a, a fourth observation I would make here. Have you considered that material things can't personally respond to anything, but God can hear the cries of your heart? 
when you are in need, can material things, can you cry out to them to help you? No. You see in the text here what happened? That the, the uh, little son that this widow had, it says he continued to get more and more sick until he stopped breathing and he died. As if it wasn't enough that there was a drought on the land, a famine in the land, and she was running out of food. As if that wasn't enough. Now she, she's going to lose her son. And you notice what she says in the text. She says, why did you come here? Why, prophet, why did you come here to trouble me? Did you come here to, to uh, uh, bring upon me the judgment of God for my past sins? Isn't that always the way we think of things? We, whenever some sort of challenge comes into our life, some sort of hardship comes into our life, we automatically think that I know what's happening. God is getting even with me because of what I did back 10 years ago or because what I did there or because of some sin that happened there. Love, that's not how God acts. God, God's not getting even with you. That, that's the, the world of karma. That's a totally different religion. That's not our religion. Uh, this, this is a story of a God who is demonstrating his dominance over the material world and so much so that he, he was dominant over life and death. God was revealing, God allowed this little child to die so that he could reveal his dominance to this woman and to Elijah over life and death itself. Beloved, um, material things can't personally respond to anything. But it says in the text that then Elijah cried out to the Lord. He took this, we know this is a small boy because she hands her son over to Elijah who takes him in uh, his arms. And he says in the text, verse 20 and 22, then he cried out to the Lord. And, and here's, you know, as always, one of the great statements in the scriptures. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. The Lord hears. The Lord hears our prayers. He's a prayer answering God. So where does my help come from? Where does your help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The God of Baal, the material God, claims to be the God of rain and the God of fertility. Our God is the maker of heavens and earth. Our God is over all things and is dominant over the material things and all things. One last observation. Material things can't secure anything and certainly can't reward allegiance beyond its own limitations. But God rewards faithful allegiance with his limitless resources. In the midst of a famine and a water shortage, it says in verse 15, there was food every day for Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. In keeping, it says, with the word of the Lord. God had promised and God delivers. Is there anything too hard for God? With God, all things are possible. And so he presents to her the son alive again. Now, it says in the text that Elijah took the little boy up to 
the prophet's chamber, which would have been on the roof of this widow's home. And it says that he stretched his body out over the little boy three times. Why did he do that? Well, we can't be certain, but a number of commentators have suggested that the reason that Elijah stretched his body out over the little boy three times is to mark out the thrice holy God. Remember Isaiah when he had a vision of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This wasn't some sort of superstitious act. This was a very, very much a ceremony, a God ceremony. And Elijah demonstrated three times the holiness of God. And God brought life into that little lifeless body. It was there that God was picturing for himself the death of another son and the resurrection to life of that son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have this reward of God's reward of faithfulness to Elijah and this widow with the provision of this child. Not only would God and was God the true rainmaker, but God, the God of Israel, the God of this widow, was also the life giver, the Lord, of, the Lord God of Jehovah. So as we learned last week and have, have been reinforced this week, We are not people who have faith in our provisions. We are not people who see things as Savior and God. I mean, I mean what's going on right now around us is, is uh, an exact duplicate of this. That people are, are, are trusting in things. They're depending on things. They're relying on things. They're relying on things to be literally their, their God and their Savior whether it's material things, whether it's money, whether it's medicine, instead of turning to the living God and calling on Him and asking Him to help. Our faith is in our provider who richly rewards us. And we are people who have an indomitable conviction that the Lord is the God of the living and the dead. That our God is the God of plenty and the God of famine. That our God is the God of rain and the God of drought. That our God is the God of the Jew and the God of the Gentile. That's the big story here. God was building for himself a faithful remnant led by Elijah who would believe that God, the living God, was greater and who would believe and see a greater resurrection that would ultimately determine for all time and settle for all time the, the, the critical importance of spiritual over physical and would settle spiritual victory forever. Know this well. Whoever dares to challenge the prevailing God of the culture and the prevailing God of the culture here is materialism is in grave risk. Just as Elijah was then, so are we today. We will be charged with putting the economy at risk. God's people, you watch, you will see it happen. God's people will be charged with putting the economy at risk because after all, the economy is God. 
It is the God of this culture. The market is the God of this culture. Materialism is the religion. Material prosperity is the measure of rightness. Social justice has slipped in as the mission. But the state religion, the state religion is materialism. And anyone or any group who dares to defy that religion as the proper religion and the right religion and turns to the living God will be charged with putting the religion of the culture at risk. But there was a man. There was a prophet. His name was Elijah. He dared to stand virtually alone against the gods of materialism. And God blessed him. God helped him. God provided for him. God took care of him. And the final word in the text was this, Now I know that the word of the Lord is the truth. And Baal is not. Materialism is a religion of broken promises. It is bankrupt. Elijah dared to believe that the Lord is stronger and mightier and stood virtually alone and God blessed him. And my challenge to us, to challenge to you, to those online, is will we dare to be that kind of person who believes that the living God is our hope? And he is the one we can trust in. And he is the one that will provide to us. Regardless of what we can see or can't see. Regardless of what we have or don't have. Regardless of what we think we need or don't need. Our God alone is the God who can provide and help us. And provide for us sufficiently. I, I trust that you have placed your hope in him. In Jesus Christ. The God of the living and the dead. The God over all things. The God who can save. The only God who can save. Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this great truth found in your word. Elijah's a man of faith. Trusted in you. And you provided for him according to your word. Sufficient for the day. And so Lord, I pray that you will help us to trust fully in you. Amidst the culture of temptations of the things that we see, the things that we have, the things that we wish we had, the things that we think we need to stockpile to have confidence and security. Oh God, uh, uh, rescue us from that thinking that we may place our confidence and trust in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.